2: So, thank you very much. Go check out the site, strengthguild.com. Scroll down to Iron Radio Questions and support the show.
0: Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiologist, and I'm a sports nutritionist, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder.
2: And this is Phil Stevens. I'm a strength coach, a powerlifter, Highland Games athlete. Today, I'm helping do a plane pole to raise money for uh, Ronald McDonald House. So, always something going on. Good.
1: Nice. Uh, this is Dr. Mike T. Nelson. I am an exercise physiology person, instructor, creator of the Flux Diet Cert, and a bunch of other stuff. I'm actually in uh, Florida right now. so. Cool. Yeah. It's nice. Got to go play in the ocean. Did a little run on the beach this morning, so it's pretty good. Nice. Yeah.
0: <clears throat> okay, everybody, we have an episode of some news in the beginning, as we are wont to do, and then we're going to talk about getting huge um now versus then uh, over the last 10 years there's been some changes we're just going to talk about how each of us might address the issue of just no holds barred hypertrophy uh, but first some some news phil i know you have a couple of things
2: yeah yeah so number one this like just came up like 14 minutes ago uh because mike was upset that he didn't know about it <laughs> i made him realize it was just like just right now so this is breaking breaking news um the two-hour barrier got broken on the marathon, so one hour, 59 minutes, 40 seconds for running 26.2 miles, so that's under a five-minute mile for the whole thing. What the <laughs> hell? Yeah, so uh, they're saying it's not going to count because the guy had pacers this and that. It won't be a, an official record uh, because of the rules, but yeah, who cares? It's it's Everybody that's running is like taking it as the record, so... Uh, they did it over in Vienna. So it's the guy the same guy who just missed it? He ran it in two hours and like twenty five seconds a couple years ago. Uh, just just cracked it under man. And, Unreal. You know, he had he had pacers. He had like they're showing videos of it. And like every three minutes, he had a bicyclist come give him a snack and a drink. Yeah. <laughs> so <clears throat> yeah, it's crazy.
0: I mean a okay. five minute mile is crazy impressive once like yeah. one mile yes,
2: yes, exactly doing that twenty six point two times consecutively <laughs> is yeah, that's insanely fast, so
1: and these uh, twenty seconds under that frigging crushed it
2: yeah exactly in a in a game of seconds, twenties is a lot, yeah. a lot.
1: so um, you know I try so to yeah, pretty interesting
2: i I try to
0: put it in ways that maybe our listeners are more familiar with or something like that. That'd be like saying, dude, 405 in the squat, that's pretty strong. You know, a handful of guys in any gym can squat that much. And then you said, yeah, I did that 26 times.
2: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Or somebody coming in, like, breaking a squat record by 100 pounds, you know, not by five. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, so. Awesome. Um, yeah.
1: That's crazy. In- I know a bunch of people online were saying it doesn't count because he had Pacers and all that kind of stuff but I mean if you watch the the Nike where they tried to you know Break the two-hour barrier the whole documentary on it and they did everything possible I mean with the exception of a few things to just see if it's good They like totally knew it was not gonna count for the record But their whole goal was can we just get someone to run under two and they got close But didn't quite make it but was interesting if you saw his races after that He did better than he's ever done at any other race yeah, I would totally expect that. Having done it at least once now, he's the only human who's done it, and having a margin of 20 seconds, I bet that he could do it again. In a year yeah. or two or less, he'll be able to do it in an official capacity.
2: Oh, well, exactly. A lot. I mean, a big part of that is just
1: mentally knowing you can do it. You know, the oh, doubt will be gone. Totally.
2: <laughs> you know, the doubt is now gone because he's done it.
1: Yep, it's a pacing you know? effect now. So, yeah. How intrinsically good can you get yeah. at holding that pace?
2: Yeah. So
0: um science news uh we are talking about testosterone phil mm-hmm. yeah uh, what do you got there
2: no lonnie sent me something over here it's basically uh the title of it let me get back to the title so i don't mess it up no link between testosterone and empathy so um the two randomized controlled studies of 643 healthy men either receiving an application of testosterone gel or placebo they were then asked to complete a questionnaire in uh, this questionnaire, the behavioral task and cognitive empathy uh, tests included being shown a photo of actors' eyes and selecting the best emotional state to describe their expression. Uh, researchers found no association between heightened levels of testosterone and abilities to perform the test for cognitive empathy. Um, that said, you go down below here, and it kind of goes against a 2011 study where 16 healthy women uh, and their their task at this test was reduced when they were uh, mm-hmm. given testosterone. So,
0: yeah, it's it's right. interesting, but because I think a lot of this plays into the "roid rage" thing, and you know, does testosterone make you kooky? And yeah. you know, and and here they're saying no, at least with the amount you can get in your system, right, from uh, gel, um, and that can be significant, right? It's not going to be like high-dose injection. This is not mm-hmm. exactly gramming it, right? But, you know, you always hear, oh, it's going to make you not very sympathetic or you're not going to pick up on social cues, you know, like they're yeah. saying. And maybe you're, you're too aggressive and territorial or whatever. And then they're yeah. saying with the dudes, with the TGL, with the at least, nothing. But then yeah. I thought, yeah, because you have a lot of female lifters, right? Mm-hmm. This is one of those things where maybe the gender thing is different. Like women yeah. on testosterone, it might actually... Make them less uh, sensitive and, and compassionate yeah. in some way. That's that's interesting stuff.
2: Which yeah. is, I don't know. I mean, it almost makes sense. I mean, you're you're entering something. Their natural level is so low. Agreed. Yeah. Yes. You know, <laughs> right. But you take a little bit, a very little bit, and you're like multiplying what they have by many times. Yeah. So yeah, uh, you're in
1: the super physiologic range really, really fast.
2: Yes. So and I don't know. I've said this time and time again to people um, on the whole Roy Rage thing. I mean, let's be honest here. I've been around several people in my life that take testosterone. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. And what I explain to people is it kind of makes the – if you're an asshole, you're going to be a big asshole. I agree with that 100%. Man. you know. If you're yep. a super nice guy, generally they just become nicer. Yeah. It, well, it makes you a plus of what you already are. Yes. Um, so – and I think that's where it comes into play is it like – and the thing is, is yeah, there's probably a percentage of people that gravitate towards anabolics that are just assholes, so yeah. they become super
0: <laughs> assholes.
2: Super. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's sort of like um, it's almost like booze. You know, if you get somebody who's a happy drunk versus an angry drunk kind of thing. And but you know these these researchers, they also point out that they. They couldn't find any linear associations, and they kind of point out something that I have felt is obvious over the years. But hormones influence – they don't dictate behavior, right? I mean you could give an animal a shot of progesterone, and it will start building a nest, right? But human beings are really complex, and there's a lot of things at play. And so, yeah, is it going to make you a little bit more aggressive at times, the testosterone? Sure, I imagine it probably is. But does that make you a road-raging, roid-raging a-hole? No. No, it doesn't. And and you're right. It's it's, some behavioral baselines, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Um. There was a – I read a comment afterwards – Regarding that study, and they were – apparently the researchers had made a comment that um, we didn't really see anything, right, with the guys losing um, empathy or compassion or whatever. Um, but they were speculating that that might be different if, if a male is exposed to large amounts of tea in the womb, right, mm-hmm. then when he grows up, he, he could be hypersensitive to it, and, uh, and it might uh, affect him differently, And so it makes me think about, for example, if a woman is on anything and then she gets pregnant, right, you could be actually programming certain things. So then later in life, if you have a son, well, or a daughter, they might might somehow be permanently, you know, have their circuit board. Their motherboard is now a little different. And they might respond a little differently, Mm -hmm. and I thought that was interesting that they were talking about fetal exposure because you know we see that kind of stuff with all kinds of things. I think in medicine is fetal exposures set the stage for different things. You know,
2: well, yeah, I mean, I I can see that. You got a lot of things going on there. You're laying down base work for a life. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) That's right. So,
1: yeah, uh, we know from some of the starvation studies that that epigenetically will change, you know, offspring in terms of weight regulation and things of that nature too, and. Um, I, you know, I was, I don't work with pregnant women, but when I see someone who's pregnant and they're really trying to cut their calories, like super aggressively, I just get really, really worried because that's, uh, it's not going to end well. And you're probably going to epigenetically change some of that programming for that kid.
0: Yeah. I, I think similar things like over the years, when I see a competitive high level, uh, bodybuilder or just female athlete who's clearly on and then oh I'm gonna take some time away I'm pregnant now I think mm-hmm. wow I, I wonder to Phil's point, right, if you're um if you're not altering yeah. something. Like yeah. something's could very well be different. I mean, Mike you're just talking about food intake. I mean we're talking yeah, about serious intake. you know, pharmaceuticals <laughs> at work. Yeah. And you know all all women of course don't know they're pregnant in the first couple of weeks, even the first trimester, you know, they're mm-hmm. kind of coming to realize that. Yeah, and there could be certain exposures you know, and it mm-hmm. makes you makes you wonder, not not necessarily for the bad, maybe just different. I don't know.
2: Yeah. Um, well, if I can ever make my breeding program reality, we'll mess around with it. We've so, <laughs> joked about that a lot. Starting a breeding program with like picking out people and breed super athletes. Yeah,
0: especially yeah <laughs> uh, in the strength sports,
2: you could come up with some oh,
0: ridiculous. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah, if I took, like, Brian Shaw and, like, hooked him up with Sarah Robles or something, just, <laughs> or, I mean, not romantically, let's just make babies. Yeah, <laughs> you know? in vitro, let's make, right? <laughs> let's just. Yeah, exactly. We can build them in a bubble or whatever. Let's, I just want to make huge babies. Right. You know? Like, so.
0: if Hathor has a sister,
1: right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Recurrent <laughs> to, the, to the Phil Stevens in vitro <laughs> <Yeah>. breeding program. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> So yeah. I've heard rumors of other countries doing all sorts of different screening programs to try to pick out who are the best athletes, too. Oh, yeah. No, sure.
0: Yeah. The, the Eastern block. Uh, used yeah. to hear All kinds of rumors about that. Yeah. Selective mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. OK. Um, I've got a couple of things here before we start talking about getting huge. Uh, this first one is it, brief, but I thought it was worthwhile. Uh, digestive health gains ground in new product development. So this is from the Institute of Food Technologists. Digestive health uh, was one of the key areas driving the functional food boom of the 1980s. And that's what caught my eye with this, right? I think so many times we have young people, uh, they're like, oh, this functional food thing in pre or probiotics, it's like brand new, you know, or, or some yeah. kind of dietary supplement comes along and they think it's new. And you're like, well… No, this is like the third iteration of that, right? And I mean, the three of us are not old, but we're old Mm -hmm. enough to have seen some of this before. So, in fact, I started lifting in the 80s, uh, early 80s. But anyway, as far as this digestive health thing, it says interest in fermented foods has risen, not only because of their perceived digestive health benefits, but also because of of the connection with the fact that their quote-unquote processing is natural, right as it kind of fits with the whole clean label initiative people don't want ingredients they can't pronounce they don't want weird processes so the fermented foods is big it says um Innova uh so this is a a marketing uh, firm looking at this stuff Innova found that f- the food and beverage launches uh, that have digestive and gut health claims rose 21% in 2018 now this is in the Asia Pacific region I should point this out uh, but you know we have listeners all over the world. So, uh, interestingly, most of the product popularity with this whole fermented food thing is in the baby and toddler category, which was twenty four percent growth, which was ahead of sports nutrition. And that area also grew in this category, sixteen percent, sixteen and a half. So mm-hmm. um, interesting. They say seven out of ten Chinese consumers thought digestive health was the main reason to consume fiber. And one in three claim to have been following a fiber-rich diet over the last year. Now that's got to be way different from Americans. I don't think seven out of ten Americans have been eating high-fiber
1: diets in the last year. Um, yeah. Now and then I wonder about what actually happened. It's like, yeah, I'm on a high-fiber diet. I had like the whole ten grams today. <laughs> oh, true.
0: Yeah. Or I ate forty or fifty grams and I of the wrong type and I got gas so bad I had to stop. Right. Or, you know. Um, now, truthfully, though. I wonder about our population like uh, of iron radio listeners. I wonder how many of them have tried a higher fiber intake in the last year. It might be more like those Chinese consumers. I don't think we're like the gen pop, you know, like if you're going to try to diet at all, you're probably going to eat some, you know, broccoli and green beans and, you know, different fiber foods. Um, It says probiotics also very popular with a 72% rise in food and drink launches in 2018. So, Gosh, 72% jump in the probiotic thing. Uh, We've been talking about gut health and predicting that that's going to be a big trend uh, for a couple of years now. Uh, It says dairy, the dairy sales category was the big driver of that uh, as far as new products go, accounting for 67% of Asia-Pacific launches. So uh, fibers, probiotics, that kind of stuff getting popular all over the world. And, again, I, I think our, our listeners probably eat a little differently, so I thought that I would share that. Mm-hmm. Um, this next thing I promised last week. Uh, this is um, almost a little treatise. So this is about the GMO foods. And it's a little bit back and forth, so bear with me on this. But uh, a lot of people realize that genetically modified well, organisms, it's something that Gen Pop is concerned about, and there's even little labels and things like that, and we're going to get to that. But the scientists really aren't too concerned. And so I just thought I would educate everybody why the disparity a little bit. So this is from Food Business News. It's a special report. Let me just read you the titles of some of the articles that they point to. The first one, uh, Continued Rise of Non-GMOs. Consumer demand for packaged food and beverage produced without genetic engineering remains strong. This is despite broad scientific consensus that biotech is safe and beneficial. The second one says non-GMO project growth is extreme and consistent. And the third headline here is that new certification uh, marks links between organics and uh, GMO foods. In other words, consumers... If they want uh, organic food, they're expecting that it should also be GMO, uh, you know, free, GMO-free kind of thing. So let me just dig into some of these things. This first one, the U.S. Department of Agriculture, the USDA, announces GMO labeling standard. So there's been a lot of debate about whether we should do this or not. There's a bunch of crap that went down in Europe last year that really irritated a lot of the scientists. But um, the USA, USDA is going to do this. This is, let's see, from Washington. The Secretary of Agriculture, Sony Perdue, on December 20th of last year, announced the National Bioengineered Food Disclosure Standard. So basically to label foods that are genetically modified or bioengineered. Uh, the standard is basically meant to avoid this patchwork state-by-state system or where you have more private groups trying to put their stamp of approval for non gmo on different foods they're trying to make it standard um the standard defines bioengineered foods as those containing detectable genetic material that has been modified through lab techniques and not created through conventional breeding Uh, there's a mandatory compliance date of january 1st 2022 so this is protracted but by january of 22 expect to see government labels not Not what you see now, but more standard government ones. Uh, It says, the Agricultural Marketing Service of the U.S. Department of Agriculture developed a a list of bioengineered foods to identify crops and foods that are available and are bioengineered. Regulated entities, the ones that they decide are bioengineered, may use text, a symbol, an electronic or digital link, Or a text message to disclose the bioengineering. So there's any variety of things. It's not going to be just one little symbol. And, of course, that's going to piss off the people who like their little symbol, like their non-GMO symbols and stuff like that. So it says um, certain products. And, again, this is where people need to clue in, I think. Certain products made from 13 bioengineered crops and foods on the USDA's list do not require labeling. So oh. don't – there are many things that don't. and I, I think a lot of people realize most of the corn we eat is already bioengineered. Um, mm-hmm. Like I drive – when I drive to work, I drive past cornfields, and the, this corn is coming up. It's growing one and a half inches apart, the stalks. It looks like a hairbrush. That's not how mm-hmm. corn grows, you know, and it's, it might be engineered to be resistant to glyphosate or some of these different, you know, pesticides and, and that kind of thing. But the list of bioengineered foods – On their list that doesn't require labeling apparently is alfalfa, canola, corn, cotton, potato, salmon, soybean, squash, sugar beet, and certain varieties of apples, eggplant, papaya, and pineapple. Now, these things can be bioengineered as far as I'm understanding this, and it's on their list that does not require labeling. And I think because they're probably so vastly, widely consumed already. Um, It says, as such, refined beet sugar, soybean oil, and corn sweeteners, all mostly from bioengineered seeds, would not need to be labeled. Mm. So there's a lot of back and forth with this. Again, some industry groups are applauding it. Some are hating it. Uh, Apparently, Lynn Crisp, C-H-R-I-S-P, president of the National Corn Growers Association, that makes that makes me laugh, Mike. That's we took pictures yeah. in front of their booth once. Remember? That's right. I saw the fence. <laughs> or that, yeah, the Corn Refiners <laughs> Association, maybe. Yeah, but uh, apparently uh, they're pleased with it. Uh, of course they are. It says uh, with information without stigmatizing important, safe technology. So they don't want stigmas for things that are important and safe. Again, it's it's worth pointing out. A lot of scientists don't respond with fear to biotech like a lot of lay consumers do. Um, Davey Stevens, president of the American soybean association and a soy grower from Kentucky also noted his group's support of the rule. So some of these guys that are coming out, they're saying, yeah, we support it. We need some kind of standard labeling and, um, all the way in about what I think, but really I think our listeners are going to have to decide what, what they like or what they, they don't about these things. It says not all groups were pleased with the rule. And then there's some drama that goes on here. This article is too long for me to go on. Uh, with everything. But of course, there are groups that don't like it. And I'm going to guess that certain groups that try to have their own little proprietary label probably aren't going to like this too much because this is the feds saying, this is the requirement, right? Now that doesn't mean they couldn't opt in, I don't think, uh, to other things. The implementation of the new standard follows a rulemaking process that began in July of 2016. So this is a long- Process. Ooh. More than fourteen thousand comments were received and considered during the rulemaking process, and um, we've talked about it before. But when the FDA does stuff, they do similar things, right? They look for comments. We've had several guests on our show who actually would, you know, hop on a flight or get in a, a car and go travel to DC and make comments and stuff like that. So long-term process. So over the next couple of years, look for the the GMO disclosure. Uh, to be standard and not to be on everything, including stuff like corn and soybeans and things that are so common. Now, the last thing I'm going to add here is here's a related article. Petition seeks to prohibit non GMO claims on labels. Mm-hmm. So right now there's this non GMO project. It says non GMO project verified. It's got a little butterfly and a check Mark. And you might've seen that, but that's one of the ones that I I'm very curious to see if that's going to st- stick around over the next couple of years, because again my perception is what the feds are doing could just make that almost superfluous really Mm -hmm. Um, this is by jeff gelsky again from washington the information technology and innovation foundation has filed a citizen petition with the fda that seeks to prohibit the term non-gmo on consumer foods and goods the petition said that such claims particularly the butterfly logo from the non-GMO project are, quote, false or misleading, close quote. Uh, They go on to say here, uh, the non-GMO project butterfly campaign deceives consumers through false and misleading claims about the foods, food ingredients, and their health and safety characteristics, said Val Giddings, PhD, a senior fellow for the ITIF. So they have links here for the petition. Again, that's trying to ban this the existing logo. Uh, it cites the National Academy of Sciences in stating the uh, the fact that if something has been genetically engineered or bioengineered or genetically modified or mutated either in the lab or in nature, that it basically tells someone nothing about the safety of the resulting product. And that's interesting because we talk about that in the classroom sometimes. A lot of the standards are basically. You know, sort of the same. Like, is it safe? Is it effective? Okay, then. You know, regardless of how it came about. So it says, quote, the non-GMO project falsely implies that what happens randomly in nature is safer than what humans do deliberately with care and foresight, Dr. Giddings said. So whether you like that label or not, or you like GMO or not, there's lawsuits flying back and forth. There's government standards, um, you know, I tend to take the scientist's approach um to heart that I think this is less scary than a lot of people think, um, but I still would like to have something on the label if the feds want to govern that, okay, you know, but again, I think it's important to note that stuff like corn or soybean it's already i mean if you think you're not consuming anything that's genetically modified on some level, I think you're delusional you know mm-hmm. so I don't know. Uh, Mike, what do you think about that? Because on one side, you've got big politics and government. You've got money, money involved. Uh, Do you like the current way we label it with that GMO project, or would you rather have a federal standard, or do you not care?
1: I mean, my general overview is that everything should be labeled and let the consumers kind of decide. The downside with that is maybe not all consumers are – scientifically educated either (laughs) so you see kind of weird trends and stuff happen but i think that at least you should have the possibility of looking to see what what is in there and you can kind of decide from there i mean even like when we're back at experimental biology years ago we went to a talk by monsanto that said hey we're not really doing much genetic modified vegetables anymore we're trying to do selective breeding so we don't possibly have to label them as you know gmo that was what four or five years ago or something so yeah. it just i think it's probably a step in the right direction but when you have that many exemptions to it i just think from an education standpoint if someone is asking me about this oh man that's a monster pain in the butt it's like well yeah if it passes the government has these things labeled but if it's these foods or this subclass or your. Your sugar was made from a beet, which shows up in a product, then it's technically not labeled. So you would probably have to assume that it is GMO at that point. And so I, it, to me, it just sounds like a, and I don't know, but it kind of sounds like a big compromise between. If you think about the corporations that have a lot of pull, right, soybean, corn, things like that, and and I understand that they're already probably so genetically modified that you can't find a quote unquote natural or non-GMO version anyway. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it's probably a step in the right direction. I thought it was interesting that salmon was on there though. That's something that kind of jumped out to me as really salmon.
0: And, uh, uh, I don't know. Yeah. There was some,
1: that, that seemed a little odd. There was
0: some <laughs> details about that too. Uh,
1: that came up a couple of years ago.
0: Um, in yeah. fact, we talked about it and I don't remember yeah, the did. specifics about it. Uh, about the, it's, it's the Aqua Advantage salmon that's on the, apparently on the, um, waved list. Aqua Advantage. I don't know. Um.
1: It would just seem like okay. We should probably be able to tell what's a GMO salmon and what's not. I get that corns mm-hmm. kind of distributed everywhere, but a salmon, I, I don't know. It just seems a little weird to me. But mm-hmm. yeah, well, I think one of my concerns is if this government,
0: if it's as something as minuscule as a text, like here's a little text, text for more information. That's like the yeah. menus at McDonald's. Do you think people pour over those menus? You no. know. Um, so people aren 't going to go to great length just because they have a little text or a web link or something like that, right So in that regard, I can see where maybe a symbol might be better. The flip side is this non g m o project or whatever um, you know they 're going to have a certain vested interest in making sure their logo is the logo and oh, and sure. i 'm not sure you know there 's going to be potential conflicts of interest there you know and and so you go back and forth i do like the idea that the feds are basically saying listen we hold these foods to the same standard if something's naturally natural does not automatically equal safe and laboratory does not automatically equal bad right i mean i always joke in class about poison ivy that's natural would you have Mm -hmm. a salad no (laughs) no you wouldn't uh so Uh, it's important to just kind of, I think, look at, is this safe or not? I guess where I would be freaked out is, many years down the road, is there something weird like tumorigenesis or somehow something is different or my offspring is somehow different? I doubt that those things are going to happen, but I can understand where people would be concerned. Or even if you introduce a genetically modified organism into the environment um, and it just dominates, then do you run the risk of having this, I don't know, the original species just destroyed,
1: Wised essentially. Out, yeah. 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 I get more worried about the latter on that, because I think that's something that historically we've done a very poor job of predicting. Like, all the time, like, I think wasn't there something like they did genetic engineering recently to try to limit reproduction of some species, and I think that kind of backfired, too. I could be making that up, but, <laughs> yeah. I, the more as complexity scales up, I just get super nervous that we think we have something figured out, and we usually don't.
0: <laughs> no, there's no doubt. You're, you're right. Ecosystem stuff, uh, not to confuse the issue, but that's the the butterfly effect, right? Yeah. That, uh, you know, butterfly flaps, its swings in Tokyo, and something changes in New York or whatever. And we can't – you're right. I don't think we have a really good handle on that. And I agree with you. I think that's my bigger concern is the ecosystem stuff, you know, but – Uh, All right, let me close out before we go to break just quickly. uh, The fall funds drive for Iron Radio is about to happen. So look for ads mid show on that. That's where we ask everybody, hey, you know, can you support the show uh, with a one time donation or a a $4 a month sort of subscribing member sort of thing? Uh, Keep the lights on here. Uh, Also, a contest. We haven't done one of these for a while. Phil, you and Mike both know we we had those swag bags from the ATP science people. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've got a giant one. We kind of collected some stuff from this. I would like to give that away. Um, It's got vitamin, like, nutrient boxes in it, gadgets and new products. T-shirt is in there. Um, It's only a size large, so if you're a large mammal, I don't know, give it to your your wife to sleep at night or something.
1: Um,
0: Disclaimer, I guess this is an endorsement of anything in this bag. And we're not responsible if you, you know, you consume this like any good consumer and you make some judgments. It's just a, a giveaway. Here's what I would like you to do. Uh, we've done this before. Uh, and by November 1st, make five tweets or posts on Facebook or Instagram, um, a forum uh, about Iron Radio. That's basically it, you know, um, in support or any kind of, your thoughts on the iron radio podcast five times on social media and we're just going to do the honor system because our listeners are good like that and then through IronRadio.org, you can click on email us here uh, and fortress will get me that Uh, the truth is by making it five times by the end of the month it sets the bar a little higher and it makes your chance of winning your odds of winning really quite high right because only a handful of people i'm gonna guess are gonna do this five times and then we'll randomly choose, and we'll all just um, mail you this giant bag of stuff that we got out in, in Tahoe. So um, we'll, I don't know. We'll call that the ATP Science Contest, I suppose, or the <laughs> Iron Radio Guys Travel and Have a Bag They
1: Don't Know What to Do With Contest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. the marketing department definitely approved the second message. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, we're going to
0: go to break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about getting huge.
2: You know, dear ladies and gentlemen, yeah, yeah, you know who this is. Uh, So I'm here to tell you about uh, Dr. Mike T. Nelson's uh, new book, uh, Why You Should Eat Keto. I don't do it because, I mean, look at me. Come on, I'm fabulous and I'm fantastic. Anyway, you should text uh, Keto eBook all in one word to 44222 to receive your free copy. Do it. Do it now. Hi listeners, this is Rob fortress Fortney. I'm here to remind you that as the holiday season approaches and your thoughts turn to giving, we like you to keep Iron Radio in your thoughts. Over the past several years, there have been
0: hundreds of listener comments hoping that Iron Radio stays on the air for years to come. Iron Radio is here for you. But as with any public radio type format, the show is listener supported. That's where you come in. For just $4 a month, you become a supporting member, keeping your weekly dose of education, experts, and gym talk flowing. Just go to www.ironradio.org and click on the $4 monthly subscribe button
2: near the bottom of the page.
0: Or click the donate button at the right of the page for a one-time donation. You are the Iron Brotherhood and Sisterhood.
2: Of course, not everyone can afford to be a supporting member, or a significant one-time donor. But for those of you willing to pitch in $4 per month or $50 just once, we're about to sweeten the deal. Become a supporting member or major donor between now and January, and a limited number of you will receive a gift worth over $20. And we will never forget our existing supporters. Simply email me via ironradio.org, and I'll send you a free seminar from Dr. Lowry on how to significantly and realistically boost your testosterone levels. Help your iron brothers and sisters who cannot pitch in but deserve better internet programming in our sports. And happy holidays.
0: Hey listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle, oh, you poor meathead. All that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what. Uh, There is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, there's enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety, uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC press and protein and Lowry. You can just Google that. And, uh, I do full disclosure. I do make a small single digit uh, royalty on the book, But that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. But over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. Toward this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? Okay, folks, we're back. It's Dr. Mike T. Nelson, it's Coach Phil Stevens, and it's Lonnie, and we're going to talk about uh, getting huge, and we're going to talk about getting huge now versus 10 years ago. Okay, so unless the sports and the science haven't really progressed in any way, you would think something would be different, but then I'm guessing some things, if they just work, they're maybe not different from, let's say, 2009 when we started the show. So, Phil, um, let's start with you. Uh, top three keys to unbridled size. So it could be <laughs> <laughs> lifting, mm. eating, sleeping, uh. supplements. What – if you were going to say three things just off the top of your head, right? And listeners, keep in mind we're doing this off the top of our heads. But three things to just get huge. To what Your current thinking.
2: I'll start off with eating because I just watched Brian Shaw's new video of following him eating 10,000 calories a day. Ooh. Um, he started a new diet. But uh, the ease and ability to have good mass quantities of quality food. Um, with, you know, he, he ate like a lot of mail order buffalo and things like that. There's more of that than ever before. Um, you got more choices of, of things like that. So you can get mass quantities of quality food that's readily available. Mm -hmm. probably more than any other time in history. Um, Access to quality strength training gyms, uh, like more old school type gyms. There's probably more of them than ever. A lot of that probably has to do with CrossFit coming up. But there's more places like mine than probably ever in history. Uh, So you're you're not relegated to trying to get huge at a Globo gym. Okay, almost a Uh, club, like a (laughs) club environment. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean there, there's more I mean I would argue anyways that you know a place like mine is more conducive to getting bigger and stronger than like 24 hour fitness. Yeah. Oh, where yeah. I, yeah. Where you might get kicked out. <laughs> right. Socially alone. Um, yeah, it would help. Yeah. Yeah, and uh I don't know. One can't ignore this. I probably should, but uh, probably pharmaceuticals with the advent of SARMs and things like that becoming I haven't looked into them that much, but uh it's all the rage now. Uh from what I hear. Right. there's probably more pharmaceuticals than ever before. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you add those three things together, and you've got large mammals. So, <laughs> so. Let me, um,
0: if I can drill down just a little bit before we ask Mike, when you say eat more, um, are you talking quantities at all? How do you do oh, yeah. more? How do you just say, listen, you're going to recklessly gain size – because power lifters, I would argue – you don't have to keep quite as much of an eye on body comp in the off season, yeah. you know. Like bodybuilders yeah. can't just become super duper sloppy. Yeah. Um, but so, what are you talking about when you're talking about eating more? How would you,
2: you know, help well, someone? I mean, we talked about it before. I mean, I think I really think the the same thing that is making our population obese is also helping to lead to the freaks mm-hmm. because we have all these. You know, it takes calories. support the work Mm so they didn't have that in like 1947 you know they didn't have the calories we do now that are so readily available I mean you could get it back then but I mean it was much harder today it's easy to go pick up I can go to any store and grab something that's ready-made and I can slam it down my mouth in 30 seconds right get 3,000 calories yeah yeah so uh, we have the ability for that so yeah it's it's more and I think also now with we're maybe a little more health conscious than ten years ago. There's, there's quality ready-made food, more than ever before. You know, it's not just TV dinners and crap like that. You can get, you know, organic grass-fed bison that's ready to eat. Yeah, and things like that. You know. Right. Yeah. Things so, with
0: fiber or probiotics yeah. or other stuff snuck in there. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. I mean, there's healthy choices of ready-made food mm-hmm. now, whereas before there was not healthy choices of ready-made food. (laughs) So there was plenty (laughs) of ready-made food, but it wasn't the best quality out there. So you kind of have a mix of both now. Right on.
0: Um, You know, just uh, something that was on my list as well, but the attention to SARMs, I think uh, SARMs are today's mirror to the pro-hormone or or pre-steroid craze of 10 or 15 years ago, right? That's like, because it's kind of unregulated, And, I mean, I don't really know the solution to that except talk to people that are knowledgeable who are actually using them or the people in the gym, uh, preferably somebody who's got a little bit of science acumen, (laughs) you know, about what's going on. I know uh, there's been some pretty good um, YouTube videos. I'm sure there's some also really bad ones, but um, to try to learn what you can about them at least. Um, Okay, uh, Miguel, so if you were to have – Somebody come to you and say, "I I need to get huge, like huge. <laughs> Help! Yeah. What what are you going to say uh, first?
1: Yeah, pretty similar to Phil's list. I mean, I would say eating's probably number one. I mean, assuming they're not training like a complete idiot, um, and you can get high. Same with Phil, you can get high quality food now that it was much much harder to get many years ago from, you know, delivery systems of you know grass fed beef. I mean, I remember like. I didn't eat red meat up until maybe like four-ish years ago again. Um, But, you know, previous to that, we always knew a farmer, so my parents were able to to get it. But I remember working with clients, and they're like, I live in the middle of New York. What are you talking about? Like, (laughs) you can go to the one, you know, fancy store that's going to charge you like $25 a pound for something, you know. Or now you can order from U.S. Wellness Meats. There's a lot of other, Mm -hmm. you know, butcher Box. There's a lot of places online where you can get it. And I've used some of them before, and they're great. You know, mm-hmm. it's very high quality. The price isn't too bad. I mean, it's not dirt cheap, but it's not horrible like it used to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, so getting high-quality food is easier. Mike, stuff like-
0: Mike, let me, if I can interject. So yeah. can you tell everybody before you move on why the red meat change? I mean, that's changed over yeah. the last 10 years. Why did you decide to go for it?
1: Yeah, so you know, growing up, I did eat some red meat, and then I stopped. Around age twelve or thirteen, uh, for some reason I just didn't like it. I just yeah, and I went to college and I took a environmental science class in the early nineties, and I'm like, huh, well, it doesn't seem like a good reason to eat it, you know. And as I did more nutrition stuff, I was like, well, you can get most of the things from other sources if you know what you're doing. And you know, I tried being a vegan for a little while, that didn't go well, so I was kind of mostly a lacto-ovo. Uh, and then I added chicken and fish in for a little while in college because if you're uh, not eating chicken and fish and trying to live on just dairy and plants, uh, your lifting's going to suck.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: Unless you're using some type of you know supplement of protein or something like that, it's just really, really hard. You you could do it, but you're going to spend your, a lot of your time trying to do that. Um, and graduated, you know, many years later, and it wasn't until I started doing more stuff about metabolic flexibility, I'm like, huh. I haven't really eaten red meat now for probably well over two decades. So I'm like, so what happens if people all of a sudden you know, go out to dinner and have a steak? Oh, they tend not to digest it very well, right, if mm. you go many, many years without it. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Am I a hypocrite because I'm saying, oh, you should get wide variety of stuff. All these things are good. You should have the ability to at least handle them and decide if you want to eat them or not. I'm like, I don't know if I can handle any red meat. So I should probably get back at least the capacity to, you know, to handle it and decide from there. Flexibility. So, yeah, <laughs> flexibility. Exactly. I'm like, if I'm the one preaching all this stuff, I should probably do it myself. <laughs> mm. um, and so I, I remember having uh, gelatin and that went okay. So I'm like, okay, what's the most processed thing I can get? Okay, gelatin. That was Okay. I remember having this, this sample of a beef hydrolysate I got at the Arnold years ago that had just been you know processed to hell and back. And I'm like, hmm. So every day I would open my cupboard, and this sounds pretty woo-woo. I'd look at it and go, hmm. So I think I'd be able to handle that today. I'm like, no, I don't think so. And i close the cupboard. So this, oddly enough, went on for like several weeks. And I'm like, oh, I think it'll be all right. So I just had half the packet. That was fine. Had the rest of it. And then ended up going to my parents' place like a couple weeks later. I had like one ounce of grass fed beef. That was fine. And then just kind of scaled up from there. And then I realized I'm like, oh, for whatever reason, now I actually do like it. Because even previous to that, even like at Christmas, my parents would have, you know, steak and that kind of stuff. And they're like, don't you want any? Doesn't this just smell great? And I'm like, no, actually, it doesn't. Like, there was nothing that was appealing about it. Hmm. So that was kind of the reason for the change. And, Now I eat a fair amount of it. So Mm
2: -hmm.
0: (laughs) Um, so what about training, supplements, recovery, et cetera?
1: Yeah. So training, I mean, I think just pushing, I'm a big fan of frequency. You know, if you push more frequency, you're going to get more volume, you know, assuming you can recover. And if you're in a caloric surplus and you're doing everything else right, you should be able to train more. This old myth of, you know, not so much now, but I think in the past, you could probably vouch for this Lonnie of bodybuilders all of a sudden scaling up their volume like ungodly high as they're trying to cutting i'm like oh man you're just gonna run out of space at some point on that yeah uh you know big compound movements i think you can make an argument of definitely throwing in some hypertrophy stuff in there i mean that's the definition of bodybuilding right getting bigger adding more muscle mass um and the third one i'd actually put probably asleep i mean if I know for myself, like, I've prioritized sleep a lot more the past two years, and it's made, like, a massive difference. And You know, sometimes the travel, it gets a little screwed up and that type of thing. It's not perfect, but, you know, ideally, I sleep, on average, if I look at my garment of time that I spend in bed, like, this week was lower, it was uh, 8 hours and 42 minutes. Uh, last week was about average, which is 9 hours and 25 minutes. You know, and I find if I can just sleep more... I do better. And the same thing with clients. You know, And that's usually the hardest thing to get them to do because that's – you're asking them to make a massive lifestyle and even a value change to their life. Um, but if they can do it, it makes a big difference.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, if I was asked this, uh, a lot of it yeah, would be it similar – yeah, I, I'm actually on board a bit more uh, with what you said about frequency than I used to be. So, mm. like, I used to do a push-pull body part split, right, bodybuilding split, where I'd hit a muscle group about every fifth day, maybe every seventh day. Um, now, I think, although I would still do that with lots of heavy negatives, you know, purposely getting sore, the whole tissue assassin activate satellite cells, that always served me pretty well. Um, I think I would alternate that though. I mean, over a two or three month meso cycle, maybe um, a couple of weeks of one, a couple of weeks of the other. I'd probably play around with the programming, but I would probably alternate that in with um, something that's more frequent than that. You know, maybe an upper lower body split, you know, where I'm doing um, less total sets in a workout, but I'm back at it. Maybe like on a two on, one off you know, a uh, schedule or a three on one off kind of schedule where I'm actually trying to get in a little bit more frequency and not trying to only get sore and rocked every time I lift. Cause that's 10 years ago. I think that was really where I mostly was. Uh, or at least I favored that as far as eating. Uh, yeah, I would suggest people try to eat a, about a thousand calories above maintenance. This goes back to what I was saying before about, not getting too sloppy, right? If you're a physique athlete in the off season, uh, but, but I w I don't want to calculate really anything. I'm just saying basically eat about three more servings at each of four or five meals throughout the day. That's a decent way to do this without breaking up the calculator, because if you're down on that level of granularity, you're wasting your time. You've got to eat more, just more. So eat like three more servings than you do now across each of four or five meals you're going to start entering that range, you know, of a thousand or more calories a day. You can't pussyfoot around with 272.1 extra calories times this many days equals this many pounds of theoretical muscle mass. Baloney. Instead, eat baloney. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I'm also with you on the sleep. Um, like, try to sleep freaking nine hours if you can. If you're younger, um, you get better sleep more. anyway or yeah. catch catch up on the weekend unapologetically with a 10 hour and brag about it. I know Phil I've heard Phil do that, mm. that past like oh my god new PR I slept for 11 hours. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh, that's that's a good thing. And then um I'm also more about like the meditation and trying to get the cortisol down in with through things you do not just things you swallow, you know. And then log it like maybe a sleep app or um in a training log how many times this week you took You know, start small. Maybe it's even as little as five or ten minutes of focusing on your breathing or doing some of these progressive relaxation audio. You know, where you go through, you squeeze each major muscle group. You can find a lot of that stuff free online. There's different guided meditations. There's different ways to go about this. It doesn't have to get weird. I think some people they hear meditation, they think that's sort of weird, um, mystical Asian stuff, and no, no, it's not. Um, As far as um, meds. Supplements and meds. I'm still a huge fan of whey, creatine, fish oils. Um, I think the pre-workout stuff, and and our listeners, longtime listeners know this, I'm more about the coffee than some of the harsher pre-workouts that I used to be Uh, just because I think there's such advantages with glycogen deposition and the antioxidants and all that kind of stuff, whereas I think 10 years ago I probably would have been much more uh, eager to go the pill and powder route and some of that stuff – was pretty harsh, and I think a lot of our listeners know that. Um, Probably screws with your carbohydrate metabolism pretty bad. Uh, Nowadays, I think I would take hormone replacement more seriously. And I don't just mean like uh, just testosterone replacement, but melatonin, you know, things that I know fall with age. Even things like vitamin D, you know, uh, the CDC says if you live north of Atlanta, you're probably – not getting mm-hmm. enough and vitamin D is a hormone too. So just cause melatonin and vitamin D are over the counter doesn't mean you can't look at that like available hormone replacement. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, I look at replacing those things more. And again, partly maybe because I'm older. Um, yeah. When I was younger, I think I also didn't, I was still competing. Right. So let's be honest. I'm post competitive now. And that changes how I think. Uh, and I'm actually post 50 now years old so Mm -hmm. that changes but i almost i i would think about career longevity now even with a young person you know instead of just hammering ibuprofen all day every day i probably would do something like glucosamine chondroitin or collagen bone broth i would do something to try to preserve the joints especially in a bodybuilder with smaller joints because all those heavy years I think it takes a toll on smaller joints more than it does huge joints. I used to you know, joke with Rob about that all the time. I'm like, your elbow is the size of your biceps is the size of your forearm, right? <laughs> your, your arms are gigantic, but you have these huge load-bearing joints that I just don't have. So I think joint and even soft tissue, a focus on soft tissue and stuff. I've never had a massage. I've never done foam rolling, um, and I think I would at least have a little bit of that uh, occasionally in somebody trying to get huge now.
1: Right. So do you think, i ask both of you guys, do you think this would change if body composition was more? So if it's like an off season bodybuilder where, you know, you're going to kind of have to take off that extra fat that you would add?
0: Well, for me, it is. I mean, that's why I'm saying you can only, if you're eating three more servings than you normally eat every time you sit down, that's probably pretty good. Like, I, oh, I don't yeah. know. I, um, the last time I competed, I admit, I would go to Walmart. I'd buy those ready-made cakes. This sort of both your guys point out ready-made stuff. These icing, just sugary icing, r- r- smeared, refined carbohydrate. They're cake. It was cake. It was like the size of a Frisbee, maybe a little smaller than a Frisbee, and I would just eat it. <laughs> and, <laughs> but I wouldn't do that every single day. If I was Phil... And I was trying to get up to 300 pounds, and I, I know that every pound I gain makes me stronger, more or less. Mm-hmm. I'd be more reckless, even yeah. more. But I still think you need to break through. Uh, in fact, Fortress and I wrote an article for T Nation years ago about you know breaking through barriers. You have to be at least a little reckless, and I don't think you should break out a calculator, mm-hmm. you know, even if you're a bodybuilder. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and just shameless plug, there's there's actually two studies that are going on looking at this. Uh, Dr. Eric Holmes is doing one with Brad Dieter and some other guys, and then myself, Dr. Tommy Wood, Dr. Ben House are, are actually enrolling in a study to try to get advanced lifters and then overfeed them and see kind of, you know, what is that that kind of break point or at least get some data on it, right? Because everyone knows that if you eat a lot, yep, you're going to, definitely be moving in the right direction, but at some point you're going to have more fat, right? And exactly to your point, Lonnie, if you're eating you know, only 201.7 extra, you know, calories, that's probably not enough either, right? So it'd be interesting because my guess is that it's a, a nonlinear phenomenon, right? If you're over by maybe five, 800 calories, it's probably enough to sustain all the process you need. You're going to gain a little bit of fat, but probably not a lot. You know, if you doubled it to 1,500 extra calories a day, you're probably not getting any more muscle. You're probably just adding all fat at that point. Um, And the research on this is just very, very limited pieces of data. So uh, people are interested in being in that study. We're still looking for volunteers. I think one of the requirements is you have to do at least a double body weight squat, I think. Um, But, you know, I'm not making any money. Ben's not making any money on it. We're just, you know, trying to get people into it. Um, And if they're interested, drop me a line. But... Hopefully in a couple of years maybe we'll actually have more actual hard data on this so we can get people an idea of where they should be at. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Well, there you have it everybody. I mean
0: <laughs> changes to our thinking. Um I can tell you I I again, I think the age thing is affected my my thing and also That's the science. Good. Like things like SARMs or even like growth hormone replacement therapy and things like that, mm-hmm. things that used to be considered really out there like you know Mm -hmm. somehow work with a a questionable (laughs) i don't know chiropractor (laughs) or something and try to get hooked up with your gh i i I don't mean that right and i'm not telling people to go do that but um you can see the transformation in some of these older guys like stallone you know who Mm -hmm. stumble into gh and it does things that testosterone alone will not and i don't i don't think the solution as you uh, progress through life even in your you know 40s let's say and certainly into your 50s, more testosterone is going to start messing with your prostate and doing other things. Maybe there's a better way to go about this, you know. And mm-hmm. what GH does to destroying body fat is, is remarkable, you know. And, yeah. and the soft, soft tissue rebuilding at all. Effects. yeah. Yeah. It, 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 that's very interesting to me. Um, but I'm still wrestling with how I even go about, you know, uh, broaching that subject with my doctor. Yeah. But
1: anyway even now you have peptides and everything else and my last comment too is I don't know a lot about peptides or SARMs or I don't know that much anymore but I, I often wonder if you know testosterone and other basic ones were legal would there be as much interest in SARMs to me it, it no. just looks like most of it is because the other ones are illegal
2: yes that's exactly I, I agree 100%. yeah
1: okay all right, folks. Well, cool. thanks for tuning in.
0: We'll uh, cool. we'll see everybody next time. Catch you later. Hey, listeners. Have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store, one for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry, and they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store, uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's hall of iron and if you want something about motivation or daily training Fortress's hall has what you're looking for there are some fun heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores we try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store and whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced you can take heart that you're not wasting your time the things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations protein powders that we know to be good, Uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, The stuff you you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org and um, let us know what you think on the forums and certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening.